Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 110 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. This time around, I get to chat with bartender and author, Shannon Mustafer about her new book entitled Tiki, Modern Tropical Cocktails. Shannon is a New York-based bartender and brand ambassador for Bear 2 Brandy, and she swung through D.C., to do a shift behind the bar at Archipelago on U Street and promote her book. So, naturally, I couldn't resist having a fun, tiki-driven chat with her before the doors opened for service. But, before we jump into the interview here, I think this would be the ideal time for you to make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail, in keeping with our tiki theme, is the Mighty Jungle Bird. It's a drink that's come up before on the podcast, and for good reason. Created by bartender Giuseppe Gonzalez in 1978 at the Kuala Lumpur Hilton, this formulation sends a classic Negroni careening into the tropics. To make a Jungle Bird cocktail, you'll need two ounces of Jamaican-style pot still rum. Smith & Cross is my go-to here. Three-quarters of an ounce of Campari. One and a half ounces of pineapple juice and half an ounce of fresh lime juice. Combine these ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice. Shake vigorously for about 15 to 20 seconds and then strain into either a large rocks glass or a Collins glass over cubed ice. For a garnish, go tropical yet restrained. After all, this is a tiki drink, but one that contains far fewer ingredients than your classic zombie or Mai Tai. In her book, Shannon recommends several pineapple fronds and a scored lime wheel. So, now that you're all set to enjoy one of my personal favorite tiki cocktails, let's turn our attention back to the interview. In this fun chat with author and bartender Shannon Mustafer, some of the topics we discuss include how Shannon shifted her passion for art from the canvas to the bar, what cocktails and great coffee and lattes have in common, what it took to go from designing a simple brunch menu to an entire cocktail program featuring over 50 rums, the discipline, sacrifice, and passion required to assemble a book that contributes meaningfully to the tiki discussion, how to think about tiki as a modern cocktail genre, what to drink in Cuba with actress and philanthropist Rosie Perez, and much, much more. Shannon's book, Tiki, Modern Tropical Cocktails, can be purchased online or by visiting your local bookseller and requesting that they carry it. Personally, I love how this book is organized, and I love the photography that accompanies the cocktail recipes. Each picture really whets your appetite and inspires you to spend time on the presentation of the drink. So please, if you're in the market for a good read and some awesome recipes, grab your copy today. And with that, please enjoy this really fun conversation with tiki author and bartender Shannon Mustafer. Shannon, thanks for being on the podcast. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners and just tell us all a little bit about you? 
Sure. So my name is Shannon Mustafer. I'm a spirits educator, cocktail consultant based in Brooklyn. I'm the, what I like to call the spiritual advisor for Gladys Caribbean, which is a rum-focused bar with Caribbean bites, really casual and fun, in Crown Heights. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, I work as a director of education for Bertu Brandy, which is from California and launched last year. We've been really out there, you know, getting into the bar community. And I'm also the author of Tiki Modern Tropical Cocktails that came out this spring with Rizzoli. Yeah, and that's what we're here to talk about. Congrats, by the way, on that. It's a beautiful book. It's I'm so grateful. You know, I had a great team. No effects is a killer when it comes to cocktail photography, and everyone involved in the process has, has made it really great. Yeah, I've heard his name a number of times. Yeah, so, you know, Noah has done a lot of work with major food group in New York. Uh-huh. That includes Dirty French, the Polynesian, he also works with Hannah Lee Communications, which is a PR firm that covers a lot of the bigger hospitality properties in the city. If you look at his Instagram feed, it's just like image after image. It's just like out there pounding the pavement. He's very inspirational. Yeah. And and we'll get to this, I'm sure, as we, we start digging into the book, but especially for Tiki, and I think especially especially for modern Tiki, Right, I feel like I feel like imagery and the the connotations that that you can build just using a simple image are really important to like the, the appeal of the drink. Um, so I'm I'm glad that you you were able to team up with somebody. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit about what the process was like for you to start building this book? And and I guess what I'm specifically asking about is I did a little I did a little recon here before we spoke. A little leg work. A little a little mostly ear work with, okay. the, with the other podcasts. But you seem to come from the art world, and and I guess my main question is what is it like to come from the art world into the bartending world, and then. I, I suppose as that machine evolves, kind of like push a book out of the other side of that machine that is you and your creativity. Yeah, sure. So when I was in the art world, I, I studied at Rhode Island School of Design and got a degree in painting and also concentrated in art history. This was a while ago, so I don't want to date myself. And you know, the thing about creating something is that you want people to see it and experience it and, and share it and hopefully take something away from it, be it entertainment or like I just feel better today or like I'm, I'm thinking about something I feel inspired. Yeah, it's and so it's, that's what I, I like to think that it is in the best case scenario. I kind of hit a little bit of a, a speed bump as I was on the verge of graduating and observing people who had, you know, gone forward from the program and were exhibiting in New York. Um, Rizzi is in Providence and the presumption is that when you're done with that program, you're going to go to New York, which I want to do. But here's the thing. Then, as is now, most artwork lives in institutions that are not accessible to a wide variety of people for numerous reasons. Like, I don't even know what the ticket price is at the moment anymore. It's a lot for a lot of people. That's a lot, right. you know? and. Even outside of that, like once you get into the MoMA or other institutions, and don't take it wrong, I'm not bagging on this stuff. I I love those institutions. 80 to 85% of artwork lives in storage Mm -hmm. most of the time. And so as I contemplated the accessibility of, of art 
to people, I realized it was going to be for a select few. And, you know, that has a lot of value. Sistine Chapel, that was for a select patron, and now it inspires the world. But I, I, I just wasn't in a place where I was comfortable with knowing that my work would be in that realm where it would be for a select few. I just didn't want to do it. Yeah. Meanwhile, I had a side gig in college as barista at Starbucks, right? And that's where I got bitten by the hospitality bug. Like, I nerded out really hard. I knew that it was over for me when about, like, three months in, I started baking biscotti to go with the espresso. And I could look at the the color and the viscosity of the liquid coming out of the portafilter, and I knew what it was going to taste like. And I also had guests that would come in and ask for me. And if I wasn't on shift, they would say, oh, well. I'll take a medium drip. Yeah, yeah. They just wouldn't (laughs) buy the coffee. They wanted what I was doing. So that was when I was able to bridge the gap between the kind of connection I felt with my materials as a painter and my material in liquid form as barista. So that was like the gateway drug for me. Making coffee and serving people and being a part of them, having a happier day, like either do the coffee itself and the crafts, the conversation, or just like being fast and prompt and paying attention to them and and giving them something that they could experience. Yeah, and I can see that. Like I can almost see you looking at like the, the viscosity of the stuff coming out. And it's funny because we're recording this episode about, you know, a week after Tales of the Cocktail 2019. And in a couple of days here, we're going to have an episode coming out with Chase from St. Benevolence, yep. who that's where I, I, not ironically, very kind of coincidentally bumped into you at that tasting. And he, he is, is a big proponent of talking about how the people who make his rum, you know, they, they that's how that tra- the Claren tradition kind of evolved. It's like, you know, no one's, no one's sitting there with a hydrometer. They're sitting there tasting it as it comes off the still, looking at the bubbles, looking at the viscosity, much in the mezcal tradition, or you know, vice versa, mezcal and the Claren tradition. Um, and and there's like that visual aspect, and you know, it it all ties in so nicely to me as I hear you speaking about art because you made a reference that's actually very, uh, very close to my heart, the Sistine Chapel. And when I talk about, you know, when I'm trying to explain the cocktail world to people who may be kind of like tangentially acquainted with the cocktail world or maybe who want to get more into it. One of the things that I kind of try to explain to them is that like a lot of people who are doing the most amazing things in the cocktail world are like those individual geniuses, like those artists. Uh, And kind of like the comparison I make is like hiring or bringing on somebody who's truly amazing at making cocktails is kind of like commissioning someone to paint your chapel ceiling. I mean, there's that and it's like, think of the great bands of the world and then behind the scenes, the studio musicians who translated their work on to the recording tape. Totally. Okay, so, you know, I'm I'm getting like worked up here because, uh, you know, there's all kinds of elements that go into creating things that people don't think about or recognize, right? Uh But look at Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys and the Wrecking Crew. That was an orchestra. They were on point. Like, Brian's idea around music and how it should be executed was not easy to grasp, but they killed it. Mm -hmm. You know, so like, 
yeah, being able to bring somebody with that level of skill and focus onto a project is something that ma- takes it from ordinary to extraordinary and memorable. Yeah, you and know? especially when you can, like you said, like kind of tear down that ticket price, tear down that barrier to entry, at least if not tear it down completely, at least lower it enough so that folks can hop the fence, right? Yeah, I just, I wanted to make things that I knew that people would be able to get to. And I wasn't so sure that that was going to be the case if the thing I was doing was was visual art in this culture at this time. Sure. So talk to me about rum then. So we've got the transition between like visual art to flavor art. Where did rum enter the picture and how did that kind of springboard you into the tiki? So I like to say that rum chose me because I, you know, I have to give credit where it's due. I'm not that smart all the time. Um, So Gladys Caribbean, prior to becoming that concept, was a new American restaurant just called Gladys after the owner's grandmother, Mike Jacober, shout out to you. Um, And I was there maybe four or five months before this transition. And when I came on, I was a super fan of the restaurant. I, I was there the first night of service, kind of coincidentally, and Mike served myself and my sister, and I was really taken with it, and it kept coming back. So I was fully on board, and when I joined the crew, I saw opportunities to improve the program. So I wrote the brunch cocktail menu, and I was like, you know, showing Mike options for specials like every time I could, and he saw that I was really motivated and invited me to create this rum bar. But it's really funny because I had not worked with rum prior. I, you know, come from new American restaurants and like the pre-prohibition era aesthetic. Like I was your Martini, Martinez, Manhattan girl all day long, like, you know, tweak and tweak. And so I was just kind of thrown into the fire, so to speak. I had a month to assemble a back bar of 50 spirits and a cocktail program. And I was there every day. And I, no, there was one night where I I slept in a restaurant. And I, I tasted something like 200 or 250 rums to, to narrow it down. That's crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> but I wouldn't have had it any other way. Uh, you know, I, my roommate at the time was teasing me because I, I had a bunch of post-it notes on my wall creating drink genealogies yeah. you know, to understand like what to do with this stuff. And she's like, it looks like a serial killer is in here. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to kill this program. I'm going to make it happen. And that's how I learned a crash course taste 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 and you know that continues to this day and it's amazing too i mean i think that's one thing that you find when you get more into cocktails and i guess tiki cocktails it's 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 much the same but it's just a little bit more complicated and the stories are a little bit less reliable than with some of the classics but there's still that genealogy and i feel like being able to trace that genealogy really helps you kind of understand and kind of intuit what works and what doesn't because we were like we were sitting up here right before we recorded and Owen from Archipelago here in DC where you're about to jump on a guest shift in about a half hour here came up with the drinks that you're serving on your kind of portion of the menu and just watching you taste through that I could really see the analytical side of you kind of breaking down the flavor profiles based on what you know, like based on like the kind of ideal of what this drink should be. And obviously that's based on other influences because you kind of modified these drinks. Um, So it was interesting to see you as both a 
a technician, but then also the artist that created the drink, right? Because you created the drink and now you're recreating it in a new setting with certain other constraints. Um, what's it like to make drinks for you behind a bar? Like let's like, we'll get to, we'll get to some of the drinks that you created for the book, but I guess what's Shannon like when she jumps behind the bar for something like tonight where you're going to be doing a guest shift here at Archipelago? Like, what are you trying to communicate? What's your approach to the drinks? It's like poetry. Just kidding. Actually, no. (laughs) I mean, for me, like, first and foremost, the important ingredient in a cocktail, and this happens before a jigger is picked up or anything's measured or poured or shaken, is hospitality. Yeah. You know, I need my guests to know that I see them, that I acknowledge them, that I'm happy that they're there, that I'm curious about where they're coming from and what they want, and I'm going to find a way to make it a fun night for them. Like that is the essence and the primary ingredient in how I mix drinks, right? So sometimes we get hung up on recipes and I recall my early days like being so obsessed with recipes and it's like, okay, that's that's a tool, but what you're really serving is hospitality. Yeah. So, you know, a nod if you're in the weeds, a smile, a nice joke, you know, just, Paying attention to people as people. Yeah. That's that's what it's about. And then the other element is super fun is that um I don't you know, some of you have probably watched the Muppets. I love Swedish Chef. <laughs> <laughs> I did a a guest shift last week at uh Tails and I don't have regular shifts at my bar, but I love serving people and so I kinda get excited and a little spastic and I was like joking with the bartender next to me i was like i'm so sorry there's stuff all over the place because i'm just so excited i'm like the sweetest chef back here i just she got pineapple fronds oh my flying goodness. all over the place it was kind of crazy <laughs> <laughs> but for me it's uh it's hospitality it's energy it's excitement it's engagement in the material and the moment the people yeah. i'm dealing with and just making it special all right, so we've got a sense of of who you are where you come from what your take on kind of like a drink in a service situation looks like. Uh, can you talk to us about uh, the production of this book? What what you wanted to include in the book and, and how you managed to kind of execute it? Because I've never done anything like this. And it, me neither. It, it's got to be a complicated <laughs> operation. So can you tell us what that looked like? And maybe, you know, some of the some things that work, maybe some things that you had to kind of reframe a little bit to get to this beautiful end product? Yeah, sure. So this is my first book. And I was not familiar with the process of acquiring a deal and all the steps that it takes to make a proposal and the time frame that that would require and the types of uh, things I had to take in consideration in terms of like, well, yeah, I have my recipes. That's one thing. But there's like a, a bigger picture in terms of like, well, who's the audience and who's the publisher and how do we all work together to get to the same group of people who are going to find this relevant and important to them. So um, thankfully, I had a lot of help from Noah introducing me to my editor, you know, uh, John O'Jarrett, and he helped me to kind of like see from the, the reader endpoint how to shape my material in a way that would be appealing to them and also useful and helpful. So I think that that's the important thing that, to come up with. Like on one hand, to have a message that you really believe in and you want to convey to people, which in my case was, you know, 
we're fortunate right now to have a, a reconnection to classic tiki through the work of people like Jeff Berry and, you know, Martin K., you know, at Smuggler's Cove. Like, that knowledge has been uncovered. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we're in an adventurous cocktail age with access to all these spirits from all over the place. Like you mentioned, the Claren earlier, Mezcal is, you know, very easy to get as opposed to five years ago, or even right. 10. right. Liqueur, da-da-da, all this stuff. So it's like now we can look at this genre anew. And if Don Beach had mezcal, I'm sure he would have put it in his cocktails. He just used what he had at the time. Sure. And so I'm like, wow, we got a bigger toolkit. We have a bar community that is so well-versed on execution of classics. Mm-hmm. We have verifiable classic recipes. Let's put all this together, all these resources and come up with something new because that's what tiki is all about. Yeah. And so that was the vision. Like let's let's freshen it up. Now's the time. Yeah. And you know, as far as the grueling process of actually doing it, be prepared to give up your bad eating habits. Go to the gym. I stopped smoking. Drinking, I didn't stop because I had to do it for R&D. That's, that's research and development, right? Research and drinking, R&D. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Let me tell you, at the end of that R&D month, like, the last sample I had, I was like, I couldn't taste it. It was terrible. But my, my point is that, you know, there's the logistics of working with the publisher and the editor to, to craft an idea that works for people because that's what it needs to do. And then just a personal discipline. Like, my phone was off most days. And, like, if you weren't, talking about the book between the hours of 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. I wasn't talking to you. Mm-hmm. So there's an element of sacrifice involved, but if you believe in what you're doing, you're really passionate about it, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice at all. Totally. Yeah, I can see that. And especially coming from somebody from an art background, right? Like you kind of need to throw that kind of passion in that almost like there's the passion of doing the project and there's also the dispassion of being able to cut out the noise of the outside, which which makes sense to me. It's something I'm still working on as, as a person. Um, I've journeyed to tomorrow, so maybe that'll help. Uh, just enjoy sit, that i'll just sit in there i'll be i'll be reading uh derek brown's new book in in waiting in jury duty purgatory um, well it's funny you bring up derek's book it's my most recent acquisition i really i, I sat down two weeks ago on a sunday i'm like oh, i'm just gonna kind of see what's in here i was in my seat for two hours just stuck. and a notebook came out like yeah. it, just, it was great awesome well yeah. i'll bring it out i was gonna just I'm, I'm one of those the people who doesn't um hesitate to like just ruin the pages with my notes. I'm just like, all right, great new book. I'm not selling this. I'm just going to scribble all over it, but I'll bring a notebook now with me too. Yeah. I'm kind of like, I'm like the note taker and then add more notes and then shuffle notes. So I, I have notebooks upon notebooks and sticky pads and da da da. I'm kind of, that's an artist thing. Yeah. I, I feel sorry for whoever is going to have to compile all this when I'm, <laughs> so when I, I'm come from, done. I come from the art world too. I, oh, can, right I, I got my MFA in poetry. Okay. And then I worked in marketing, and uh, that was that was useless. So now I'm here. So a better I, I, place. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I resonate with the art thing, um, which which leads me to the big question that I have about tiki and about your book and about your approach to tiki, which is, you, you were referencing the fact that we have this unique opportunity right now. Mm-hmm with the new materials that we have and just the, the, the sort of access and, and community cohesion that we have as, as bartenders and cocktail enthusiasts to create new tiki drinks. 
Um, but Tiki has this very retro almost vibe to it in, in some respects. So because the title of your book is modern, like these modern Tiki, modern is, is, a, is a very important word in there. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, about that and about how you relate to the Trader Vic on the Beachcomber like very traditional cocktails while still being able to advance the conversation and get people excited about it who might not be excited about those very traditional drinks, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll also add that I know there are some people who are not excited about the the retro element in terms of cultural appropriation. That's the elephant in the room, right? So. Right. There's some people that have objections to the genre because of that element, right? But that was a, a time 40, 50, 60 years ago where we had a different view on the world, right? And a fascination with what we considered exotic, which is not exotic any longer because we can hop on a plane and get these places fairly easily. That wasn't the case back then. So, you know, to dial back a little bit, um, how do I relate to Don Beach and, you know, Trader Vic, where cocktails are concerned? We're not talking about the, the bars and the environments and all the cultural stuff. We're talking about the cocktails. Those guys came up with enduring classics and approaches to building flavor. And, you know, Don Beach really led the charge there in that he created what he called Rum Rhapsodies. And he's the first person to come up with cocktails with multiple spirits, multiple sweeteners, multiple sours and juices, yeah. and to really tap into the culinary potential of cocktails in general and, and rum itself, because that category of spirit can take you in so many directions, sure. unlike other categories, and he's recognized that and exploited it to its fullest. And in so doing, open the doors for bartenders of any stripe working in any genre I mean, I'm talking especially now to like do infusions and syrups and take ingredients from all over the place and borrow from the kitchen and borrow kitchen techniques. Like he opened a door for the, the bar and the kitchen to intersect. So it's yeah. less about spirits and less about cocktail canon at this point and more about flavor. Huh. That's what he brought to the game. An intersectionality kind of. Yeah, totally. And that's what I wanted to do in this book, you know, because you know, about 50 or 60 years in the tiki, you know, thank God we have a, what I call a, a group of fanatics who have recorded the recipes and sought them out and, you know, decoded them and preserved them and advanced them. They, they, they celebrate them. I think a lot of those individuals were part of a community that were into the tropical lifestyle overall and the whole like tiki culture but the drinks were a part of that from a bartending side if even if you're not into the culture itself you can look at those recipes and there's just flavor after flavor after flavor after flavor and that's that's what inspired me because yeah. i was super into the rums at gladys for the first year i didn't do any tiki i didn't know enough about it and when I started to learn about Tiki, I realized that I had a rum selection that other bars didn't have. And I just wanted to showcase the rums. Mm -hmm. And that's how I ended up in the Tiki space. I was like, I can make such amazing, sophisticated, layered, intriguing cocktails with rum through the lens of Tiki. So right. that's 
how that came about. If you've got a Demerara gold and an overproof, and you get to select the Demerara, the, the gold and the overproof, like then that's really like a fingerprint that you can put on it. That's really valuable to me anyway, as a consumer. Yeah, I mean, think about it like this. Like if you go into a typical bar, my typical is like you can get a, a decent cocktail in there, but let's say you order something standard like a, a whiskey sour. Providing you're using fresh juice, egg white, and a, a decent syrup, it's like four it's, or five ingredients. Yeah, you're gonna kind of get the same thing, no matter where you are. Providing they're using quality stuff. Right. Meanwhile, though, with the, you know, tiki, there's so much space for innovation because of my demerars. I have a choice of five different demerars at different ages, at different proofs. So those are different. Like different notches where flavor is concerned, and then if I want to do an agricole, I kind of have the same thing at my disposal. I can do something that's really grassy, or do something really vegetal and dry, or really floral. Like so, it just gives me a lot of room as a bartender to take it where I want to take it, as opposed to like, oh, this is what this thing tastes like, and that's going to like impose the end result. It's like, no, I get to, I get to steer it. I love that too because that goes goes right back to the art connection where everybody else is Roy G. Biv and you're sitting there like, well, I've got mauve, I got taupe, I got cyan, I've got all these like different kind of like like you they've got the the twelve pack of Crayolas, you got the sixty four pack, and now we're cooking. Oh yeah, I mean, remember the eight bit Nintendo? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. But then that sixty four bit came out, people were going crazy. Or I don't even know what happened after that. I'm, I'm not a gamer, but that the same idea. Yeah that you can just blow it up and go in three dimensions and in VR and all that. That's fantastic. Well, I'm amazed by how well we were able to kind of encapsulate your approach to Tiki. Um, before we jump into the lightning round here, can you take us through a couple of your, your favorite cocktails in the book or maybe some that, that you're about to uh, whip up behind the bar here tonight at Archipelago? Yes. First and foremost is one called the Kill Devil Reef that I just can't get enough of. And I've served it at a number of my pop-ups and it's really dangerous and sneaky drink. It has three rums in it and kind of takes a little bit of a cue from the uh, the zombie in that there's an overproof Demerara, there's Jamaican rum, there is an Agricole rum. So it's like really stacked in terms of like the full spectrum of what rum can do. There's passion fruit, there's allspice shrimp and honey and a couple juices. And it's like really easy and pleasant. But after two, you are in trouble. Hence, Kill Devil Reef. It's like classic tiki drink, right? It's so fun. That's like my favorite to put out there. And then I really love the tiger shark. That's a a tropical bourbon sour. Really easy. You take um, bourbon and fat wash it or infuse it with coconut oil. That gives like really silky quality. If it's a higher proof bourbon, like say Wild Turkey uh, 110, even better because it's like more Ooh. amplified and oh, kind of yeah. pumped up. Yeah, get that. Get it. Well, if the higher proof the bourbon, the better the fat gets in there, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, something like that and like add some lemongrass and then everything else familiar and the same. You know, Oof. you got some, you know, some lemon and then you're ready to go. So, like things like that, that uh, like Tiger Shark is like, it's familiar enough, but like just a slight adjustment to the regular whiskey sour spec and you're like in a totally different realm and yeah. 
he found a surprise and transported. And that's the magic of Tiki, right? Like there's supposed to be some transport. There's supposed to be a little bit of magic. And yeah, it's not that kind of transport where you feel like an alien. It's that kind of transport where you feel transported yet somehow even more at home than you were before. I mean, that's a, the end result, right? Of what you want if you're going on vacation. Like, yeah, it needs to be new and different, but it also needs to be really comforting mm. and relaxing as opposed to like, this feels jarring and strange and I don't know what to do. Yeah. So that's what that drink is about. Well, I love this. Uh, so we'll give you a, a chance in a sec to uh, just kind of rep the book and tell folks where they can get it. But I just got a quick like five minute little notification from Ben. So can we rip through some, uh, some lightning rounds real fast here? Let's do it. All right. Uh, favorite cocktail? Uh, if you don't have one of all time, like what's the... The Daiquiri. The Daiquiri. A classic La Florida style Daiquiri with fresh pressed juice on a pickup. Cast of sugar as opposed to simple syrup. Okay. And then a healthy dose of a dry aged white rum. Just shake the hell out of it. Shake it. Yeah. Beautiful. I love a daiquiri. It's great. I want a daiquiri right now. I, although I could do. With I the, can make you one. I mean, the other hand's going to be empty, so I could take a tiger shark too. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll make that happen for you. If you were a cocktail ingredient, what would you be and why? Okay, so I'd be fashionola because it's what I call sugar, spice, and everything nice. It's like stacked up with all these juices and spices, and it's like yeah. it's like a miracle drug when it comes to, to tiki. It just when you put it in a drink, you can like take it in so many directions by virtue of all those ingredients that go into it. And yeah. it, you know, it's a little bit of a pain to put it together, but it's so worth it. And that's a syrup, like kind of like an orgeat, like. Yeah, but it has like five different juice components and a number of bitters and sweeteners, but it's so delicious. I think we might have to, instead of featuring a cocktail for this episode, we might have to feature that ingredient because it's like a cocktail in and of itself. I mean, you can do that with soda. Yeah. And it's super delicious. Yeah, for sure. If you could have a cocktail, anybody in the world, past, present, where'd you go, what'd you drink, paint us a picture. All right, so I, I think I referenced this in a, another podcast called The Hungry Society, but I'm not giving up on this one. I need to have a cocktail with Rosie Perez. And who's Rosie Perez? Rosie Perez, you know, actress, philanthropist, activist in, in terms of um, education, especially for marginalized individuals. She's super funny and down to earth. She also lives in Brooklyn. I've seen her out and about. And she's a present person. Oh, she See, is a present people, person. Most people no, go past. No. I love the people who go present. Because no, I mean, I just had an opportunity to serve her once at a restaurant, like really briefly. It was a fun interaction. I'm like, I need to spend more time with this woman. We'll, you know, go down to Cuba and have some taquiri at Bar La Florida and then go to El Medio and have some mojito and it'll be fun. It's a, it's a non-serious cocktail kind of situation, just like hanging out with someone who I think is really cool. That's awesome. Well, we will link to her in the show notes. And uh, if you're out there, Ms. Perez. Please. Just, you know, open invitation. You got, <laughs> you got it right here. Uh, getting into the advicey things before we uh, tell folks where they can find you. Any books about tiki cocktails? Now, you mentioned Martin Kate, uh, Beach Bum Berry. Are there any particular works that you would point people to, knowing that our audience is mostly home bartenders? Mm -hmm. uh, any anything really great for them to go out and pick up? Yes. Besides your book, obviously. I hope you get my book. Uh, there, there are two books that I've read in the last few years that really struck me as uh, being singular in a contribution to cocktail books. Um, one is Regarding Cocktails by the late Sasha Petrosky. I loved how 
the emphasis there is on service and quality and simplicity, which for a lot of home bartenders is a, a good place to start because they know that it can be intimidating. Like, where do I start? I don't know what to do. And it's broken down in such a beautiful and easy to read way and emphasizes that it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be complicated. In fact, simple is better. Right. And as Tiki can be a little complicated, if you have confidence in that foundation, that, that gives you room to play and move forward. Right. And it's a good filter to be able to put complexity through. Mm-hmm. And the other one that I'm really loving is um, the, God, it might be like flubbing the author's name, so kindly forgive me, but um, the gentleman is based in London. His name is Tristan, and he wrote a couple books called Bartender's Revolution, The Curious Bartender. Okay. Um, maybe Tristan Wiley. Don't hate me if I got it wrong. Yeah, we'll look it up and yeah. put it on the show notes for sure. Yeah, we'll look it up. So he did a couple books on different like stripes of cocktail. He also did a book called Rum Revolution, which is part travel log and part like tasting diary. So he goes to the Caribbean and visits each island and each producing region. Oh, I love it. And distillery by distillery breaks down like what it's like to be there wow. and like what the rums are about and the history. And I know for a lot of people, you know, rum is a really big and difficult to understand category and so that's really helpful in terms of putting it into context which you need to have some confidence when you're going to make tiki cocktails totally. especially if you want to have your house mai tai or your house zombie or whatever you got to have that information um yeah so we'll link to both of those on the show notes page so shannon we've got the music on here they're there are books waiting to be signed. I can pretty much hear them chanting your name downstairs. <laughs> so can you uh, tell our listeners uh, how to get a hold of you digitally and where they can find the book? Yeah, sure. So digitally, just find me online on Instagram. It's my first and last name, Shannon Mustafer. I don't do aliases. I hate it when I'm trying to find someone. I'm like, what is the name? Yeah. So just the first and last name. And then in regards to the book, Amazon.com is there for you. Prime is great. You can get it the next day. And, you know, I would say call up your local independent bookseller as a number of them have been very supportive in getting this book out there. So that's what I got. Totally. Well, Shannon, thanks for taking the time ahead of this awesome shift you're about to do. Um, God, I'm so excited about this. And hopefully this is just the first of multiple conversations we get to have on the subject of Tiki and all these beautiful rum drinks we're about to go down and sample. Well, you know where to find me, I know where to find you. So, sounds like a plan. Beautiful. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start cocktail revolution here and by spreading the word you're helping us fight the good fight you can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear 
Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners, and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed, Tiki and Publishing Insights, courtesy of Shannon Mustaver. Support from Archipelago and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2019.